we're in Matthew chapter 7. We are in this study. You might want to turn there if you have your Bible. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're doing this study on what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And very specifically, verses 1 through 11 are what are called the Beatitudes. The, the Beatitudes, the blessed or the blesseds. And so we've been going through these over the last few weeks. You'll notice some of you have been part of our, our series. It's been awesome, actually. Um, those who are blessed, who are really living out the principles of the kingdom of God, are number one, poor in spirit. Number two, they are those who mourn. Number three, they are the meek. And number four, as we saw last week, as Kyle shared with us, they are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I wonder if that would be your list. (laughs) And you say, well, it's Jesus' list. It better be my list. Absolutely. That's a good answer. But that's not how we all think about life and the world. And uh, in some ways, it feels almost flipped upside down, doesn't it? And yet, this is exactly what Jesus has said citizens of his kingdom live out. So I have the the joy and the privilege of sharing the fifth one, which is found in verse seven. And here it is. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now, as I have studied this, I thought, you know, I look at this verse and it's just, it's pretty short. It's incredibly profound. But I, I look at this and I say, oh, so there are mercy givers and there are mercy receivers. And we're supposed to do both of those. So I thought if I was asked the question, am I more excited about being a mercy giver or a mercy receiver? I'm like, I'll take the receiver. <laughs> yeah, I like people to show me mercy. I like God to show me mercy. That's a good thing. And then I began to think about and study what scripture means by mercy and people who have to receive mercy. And here's what it says. People who need mercy are helpless. People who receive mercy are actually helpless. So it's this whole idea. uh, And I like to be called helpless. I don't know about you, but, you know, (laughs) I wasn't raised to be helpless. I was raised to be independent and self-sufficient and capable and competent and all of those things that certainly have their place. But mercy is received by the helpless. So then as I thought about that, I said, okay, I'll switch my answer. I'll go with being a mercy giver. That sounds very noble, doesn't it? Yeah, I extend mercy to people. But then as I read that one, that's hard to do. Especially when you've been really hurt. Especially when you've been really, really taken advantage of. Especially when it costs you something to extend mercy to a person or to people. So once again, as we are looking at these beatitudes, once again, we can't do this alone. We can't be merciful without God's incredible help. But it says those who show mercy will be shown mercy. That's a beautiful thought. So as I was was studying this, 
Two other words that are very common in scripture really came to my mind that I think are, I'll say synonyms, almost cousins to mercy. One of them is forgiveness. Another is grace. And then we have the idea of mercy. They're pretty similar, but all of them have some distinct differences. So I thought what I'd do is take just a moment and kind of touch on the basic definitions of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And then we'll kind of dive into mercy together, okay? Forgiveness. Forgiveness biblically essentially is defined this way, releasing someone from payment of a debt. Releasing someone from payment of a debt. That's what you do. The the word release is a really good concept or good idea. I mean, this even translates into when we talk about finances. She's been forgiven her debt or we forgive her debt or we forgive the loan or whatever. It's this idea of you have no more responsibility to repay. So think about forgiveness. Often when we talk about forgiveness, our mind goes where it should be, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus paid our debt so that we could be forgiven. Okay, so that's the idea of forgiveness. This idea of grace, beautiful concept in Scripture. The essence of grace in Scripture is what the term theologians like to use is unmerited favor from God toward mankind. Unmerited favor. What do I mean by that? I mean, favor that is unearned, favor that is undeserved. Okay, that's what grace is. You never earn grace. Grace is always a gift. That's kind of the core idea of grace itself, of the word, is it's a gift. Okay, so it's a gift, freely given, but it's also undeserved. Okay? Now, let me talk about mercy. And here's, there's a little bit of a, a different slant on the idea of mercy. Again, these are all very similar. Mercy is extending compassion to someone who is in need. Mercy has a compassion component. It has an emotional piece to it. When I see somebody who is in deep and desperate need, I will use the word helpless My heart goes out to that person. I feel compassion and I extend mercy to her or mercy to him. And so that's the key word of our morning. That's the word that's in our beatitude that the blessed ones are the merciful ones and they themselves shall be shown mercy, it says. Okay, so as I was given thought to this and, you know, how can I maybe best share with you? this beatitude, what came to mind was a parable. Awesome, incredible parable. It's found also in the book of Matthew chapter 18. So that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. If you have your Bible, these verses will be up on the screen as well. Let's look together at Jesus's parable illustration of mercy because it's amazing. It'll be familiar to many of you. But let's, let's look at it with fresh eyes this morning. That's what I tried to do as I studied it. Okay, I'm going to pick up in verse 23, Matthew chapter 18. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000, NIV says bags of gold. Other translations are talents. A talent was a kind of currency, financial currency. 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Let me talk to you a little bit about a talent. And we typically hear the word talent. That means, oh, he's a talented musician. That's not what this is talking about. A talent was 6,000 denarii. And you say, oh, Jeff, that's so helpful. 6,000 denarii. A denarii is another type of uh, financial currency of the day. A denarii or a denarius, that's the singular. A denarius was the wage that a laborer would earn in a day. You work a day, you get a a denarius, okay? A talent is 6,000 of those, okay? With me? The math's going to get complex here in a little bit, guys. Just, just warning you about that. The talent was the highest known denomination of currency in the ancient Roman Empire. And 10,000 was the highest number of which the Greek language had a particular word. It's the word myriad. Some of you know that word. So it's like Jesus said, what's... What's the biggest amount of, of currency, you know, that we have? And what's the biggest number that we can think of? And that would be 10,000. Okay? Listen to this. One talent was equivalent to 15 years worth of wages. One talent. 15 years worth of wages. The servant owed 150 thousand years of wages. Now that's what I call a debt. Don't you think? (laughs) Incredible. Well, what Jesus is doing here, he's basically saying almost an incalculable number, an incredible number, an enormous number. Okay. That's what he's doing here. It's almost humorous to me as I read this parable, and it is, that the the servant's petition was, I will pay back everything. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, and one of the questions we all have, text doesn't say, is how did he get into this place to begin with? Who knows? And again, this is a parable with a profound spiritual truth. But he says, you know, please, I'll pay back everything. Um. Payback is impossible for him. And so that's really kind of the first thought or first point I want to share with you when we talk about biblical mercy. When we need biblical mercy, it means we're utterly helpless. Utterly helpless. Entirely helpless. That's the prerequisite for mercy. Jump up to me, if you have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen, up to the the context of this parable is verses 21 and 22, the two preceding verses of verse 23 of the parable. Here's what it says, again, words of Jesus. "Then uh, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, 
How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. By the way, Peter thought he was being super generous here because the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis all said, you forgive three times. That's it. Number four, I'm done forgiving. And so Peter's like, hey, up to seven times. And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77, NIV translation, other translations say 70 times seven, as you know, can be translated either way. But his point is a lot. In fact, more than a lot. I think what Jesus is saying here is that here's what I want you to do when it comes to forgiveness. Stop counting. Keep forgiving. Let me say that again. I know that was really challenging to get down. Stop counting. Keep forgiving. Is that hard to do? Somebody keeps hurting you, keeps offending you. It is incredibly hard to do. But that's what Jesus is saying. Okay? So let's, let's keep going. We are to be like this because this is how God is. <laughs> and we're his creation. So much of, and, and I, hope, I hope you all are picking up on this as we go through the Beatitudes. So much of what the Beatitudes are, are rooted in the character of God. Are reflected in every way in the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? So the reason ultimately why not only we're supposed to be merciful, but the reason why we can grow and become mercy givers or merciful is because we're children of God. That's the only way. Because he has first shown mercy to us like this king. He has first shown mercy to us as we receive that mercy. That mercy begins to transform us to be like him. Okay, And so what we're going to see is that really is kind of the big theme of this whole parable as we continue to walk through it together. You know, it really is hard at times to ask for mercy, isn't it? I'd just rather kind of fix myself. I'd rather just try to do better. I'd just rather, you know, become more competent, more skilled. But sometimes we're in situations in life where we really are helpless, right? You ever been there? Like quite a few times? Some of us have, and we need somebody to show mercy. And that is absolutely a thousand percent the case when it comes to our salvation. Because my friends, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. And that's why God showed us mercy by sending Jesus to die in our place on the cross and raised from the dead. We can learn to be merciful even when it is painfully difficult because of how we've been deeply, deeply, deeply wounded and maybe even betrayed. Because in doing so, we reflect our Father. We reflect His character. And that's what the Christian life's about, right? It is. Okay, let's keep going. Awesome parable. You know... Um, just one more quick thought I had. So 
Do you remember that it said the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go? That's what the passage said. Canceled the debt. That's verse 27, actually. And let him go. You know, and as I thought about this, I thought, I wonder what the response or the reaction was of the servant. You know, was he in total shock and disbelief? Are you kidding me? You're going to cancel my debt? Were there tears of joy that just, he burst into tears of joy? Or did he fall on his face with immeasurable gratitude that God did this for him? That the king in this parable? Well, the text doesn't tell us, right? We're not sure because it doesn't say in the passage. But here's what we do know about this forgiven servant who was shown mercy. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Other translations, a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, let me talk about a denarius for a moment because this this is important, I think, to the parable. A denarius was a Roman silver coin worth 16 cents. 16 cents. And it represented a laborer's daily wage. Okay, here's, what, here's my math. Those of you that are math people, please bear with me and don't Google to see if I'm right or not. Okay, I know how that works. The servant's debt was one six hundred thousandth of the first servant's debt. I'm going to say that again. This servant's debt, the second servant, was one six hundred thousandth. So when you calculate that out, this is what I think is correct. It's point zero 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 one six six. Five zeros after the decimal point. So this is intended to be quite a comparison <laughs> in every way. The amount of the debt the servant had to the king the amount of the debt that the other servant had to, for, uh, to, with the forgiven servant, it was minuscule. It was tiny. Here's an incredibly important principle about this parable to me. The king's mercy did not have its most important impact on the life of this first servant. You see, the most important impact was not just that his debt was forgiven and he didn't have to go to prison. The most important impact of mercy is to transform you. The most important impact in my life when I receive mercy and I am helpless and someone pours out that 
mercy upon me. The most important thing that can happen to me is for me to become that as well. That's really the point of the parable. And it is so tragic in this parable that our Lord is teaching us is that the servant who had been extended incredible, immeasurable mercy by the king, it didn't affect him at all. So my second thought is that he was tragically unchanged by the king's mercy. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? My friends, that's the key point of the parable. Being shown mercy transforms us into being merciful ourselves. It didn't take at all with him. You know, something that I I believe biblically, certainly in my own life, that our forgiveness and our willingness to forgive others is really not just about us. Bible says over and over again that when true salvation occurs, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. When we've been shown mercy through the grace of God, through the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf, then it says we become a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's not the exception to salvation. That's the norm. New creature in Christ. God begins this powerful transformation process in our lives. Jesus is telling us that we have offended a holy God. In this parable, that's the king. And when we have received his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness in our lives, then he wants us to be like him in that way. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And this is so incredible. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Look at this. So that through them, you may partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you know that when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and he saves you, he indwells you with his spirit, his Holy Spirit, And that Holy Spirit is his divine nature. That means we begin to become more and more like him and we reflect his character in all of our relationships. And that is so profoundly true when it comes to showing mercy and grace and forgiveness to others. It's not natural (laughs) in our flesh, as we say, in our sin nature, in our desire to get even 
in our desire to take that person out or take them down, in our desire to get revenge. Do you know that that desire to get revenge can consume you? Do you know that feeling of betrayal that is so incredibly painful if we let that fester, if we let that sour, if we let that grow in our heart and in our spirit, it is really, really destructive. It really is. When we have that in our hearts and in our minds, it's the last thing we think about when we go to bed. It's the first thing on our mind when we get up, that person who so deeply hurt me, that person who betrayed me, that person who wronged me, and we're unwilling, with, even with God's help, to forgive, to extend mercy. It's destructive, my friends. And it's tragic to see it happen in the lives of people who, who know the Lord. It's tragic. So the Lord, the king, I should say, in this parable, goes on to say in verse 34, this is so sad. It says, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, which was never going to happen. Then Jesus says this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This man stood spiritually condemned because the mercy he had been shown did not transform him into being a merciful person himself. That's the point. We all need God's mercy. Amen. We all need God's mercy. And we are all like that first servant with our immeasurable, unpayable debt to a holy God. And we need to receive his mercy and we need to give evidence of it by showing mercy to others. Um, you know, you don't have to be like my age, which is pretty old actually. You don't have to be my age to have a real history of incredible hurts in life. Having experienced, like all of us to some degree, and some of you profoundly, um, immense betrayal in your life, profound injustice in your life, things that have scarred you, quite frankly. And maybe you're, maybe you're seeing some healing, praise Jesus, but maybe that healing is slow and hard. There are so many ways and times in our lives, aren't there, that we can justify our anger, that we can justify our desire for revenge. Not only is it not the way of Jesus, it will destroy you. And my dear friends, I think the Lord just so desperately wants us to give those things over to him. 
and to experience in his healing. You know, I don't know if this is your experience. I tend to do this a lot. You know, somebody that maybe there's some tension or friction or there's been offense or pain. They might even come to you, and this is, takes courage to do this. They, they might even come to you and say, you know, there's something going on in our relationship. It doesn't feel close. Something seems wrong that I did do something to you. What's going on? Isn't it easy to just blow that off and say, I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. When in reality, you are deeply hurt. Here's what I have found about the power of verbalizing truth, how you're really doing or how badly you're really doing or how deeply you're hurt. Verbalizing that, being truthful and honest and then extending forgiveness. And that, my friends, is when the healing begins. That's when the freedom begins. It's way too common, it's way too easy, and it's cowardly, if I can be that blunt. When there are issues, and there have been really deep hurts, and you refuse to acknowledge it, and you refuse to confront it. But in that confrontation, my friends, we also need to extend forgiveness or mercy. And maybe you say, and I certainly have said this, boy, if I go to him and if I say, you know, I need to really level with you. I need to be super honest with you that that thing you did, that thing you said, that whatever really deeply hurt me. And it's hard for me to trust you. It takes courage to do that, doesn't it? Because you don't know how that person might respond. And maybe you're already pretty emotionally hurting, fragile. But that's what it takes for the healing to begin. It's almost like God needs to do spiritual surgery. Sometimes without anesthesia, (laughs) at least it feels that way, to really begin the healing. And I think one of the big messages to my heart and what I so much wanted to share with you all today about this is showing mercy, even when you don't think people deserve it. (laughs) means we don't really totally get God's mercy. We don't really understand the extent to which he went to extend it to you and me, right? So here's the attitude of a a mercy receiver, I think. I am not entitled to revenge. In fact, I'm not entitled to this mercy. I didn't even earn it. I am undeserving. That's really a posture of humility. Boy, does that fly in the face of our independent nature. But I have been shown mercy. And God commands me as his child to show others mercy. That's receiving it. But you know, one of the things I I thought about as well in this parable is that extending mercy to others who have wounded you comes at a, a price, comes at a cost. I was thinking about this king who forgave 10,000 talents of debt. That might've been half of his kingdom. I mean, that is a huge amount. 
showing mercy comes at a price, doesn't it? Because some of us love to have the control and the power of wanting to hold something over your head because of how you hurt me. That's not mercy. And so my prayer is that the Lord, through his spirit in this beatitude, will just do kind of some heart surgery because we can be so quick to justify our desire to get even and our desire to, for revenge and to extend mercy and forgiveness and grace means I have to give all that up. <laughs> I can't have control. I have to give that all up. And there's something incredibly beautiful, my friends. I've experienced it. Some of you have as well. When you truly, from your heart, because the Lord has enabled you to completely forgive or show that mercy, even when that person doesn't deserve it. But did you and I deserve it when God sent his son? May we embrace the incredible generosity of our father to show us mercy and forgiveness. My dear brothers and sisters, may we be like him and show mercy too. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, this is hard. This is hard. And I think it's hard, Lord, because I can't do it without you. We can't do this without you. Boy, if we, if we just all took the hours, maybe days it would take this morning to rehearse all of the pain and all the hurts and all the betrayals and all the injustices in our lives and just kind of over and over went through that, boy, would we be a discouraged, angry bunch of people. And yet you have so beautifully modeled, Lord Jesus, what it means to show mercy to the undeserving. As you left the glories of heaven, as you took on the form of of a a helpless baby, a, a man, as you were betrayed, as you were scourged, as you were crucified, you paid the pet, the penalty for our sin. And you showed us incredible mercy. And Lord, we want to tell you that that's not natural for us. You know that. That's incredibly hard to do. There's so many ways that we can justify our anger and our rage, our entitlement, our revenge. And yet you have said, nope. That is not how my children, that is not how citizens in my kingdom behave. So Lord, would you give us grace? And I, Lord, want to especially pray for my dear brothers and sisters here who are right in the thick, in the heart of an immense hurt and are feeling some incredible pain and maybe heartbreak and anger and all those emotions. And Lord, I know that you want their hearts to heal 
and if it be even possible that that relationship could heal too. So Lord, help us to allow your spirit to speak to us and give us the courage, give us the strength and the grace to obey. We can't do it without you. But we get to share in the divine nature and the power of your spirit who indwells us. Thank you for that incredible encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.